Okay, kids, I have something new for you today. I want to show you a picture, and I want you to tell me what you see. What do you see in this picture? Wood. A tree. What else do you see in that picture? There's an owl. There's an owl in that picture. Isn't that cool? Owls are really big predators. They hunt birds, other birds, and they hide in wood like that because they disguise and they look just like the trees, just like the wood. And so if you're a bird and you're landing on the branches, you might accidentally land very close to somebody that's hungry like that. Let's look at another picture. What do you see here? Oh, now we see an owl, don't we? Okay, how about this one? Yep, there's an owl. Okay, now how about this one? Oh, you were much quicker than I expected. I thought that if I set you up to look for owls, you would see an owl as soon as you saw that picture, but it looks like an owl, but it's a moth, isn't it? Yeah. Now, if you're a bird and you eat bugs and you eat moths and you saw a moth like that, you might be afraid that it was an owl that was going to eat you. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about not being deceived by something that we think might eat us, but turns out is harmless. As in the case of the moth that looks like an owl, but is actually just a moth. So let's turn this morning to Colossians chapter 2. And I want to read for you uh, Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 to 15. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Isn't that a great passage? The book of Colossians to me is just fantastic. Paul is writing to a church and he's reminding them of all that Jesus has done for them and of what that means for them. And in this particular passage, what, what Paul is saying to the church at Colossae is, look, um, there are lots of ideas about things that you have to do and it sounds right. It sounds like wisdom. It sounds like, oh, of course, that's what we need to do. But in fact, it's not. It's not because it's not connected to who Jesus is. 
And so don't be deceived by those things. Don't be taken captive by those things, by those elemental ways of thinking and tricked into uh, thinking that there is something more that needs to be done than what Christ has already done. So that's what we're looking at this morning. He starts this way in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. You see, we have lots of people telling us the things that we need to do all the time. They have all kinds of different motivations for telling us those things. Sometimes they're trying to sell us something. What you really need is to drink this drink. What you really need is to do your hair this way. What you really need is to wear these clothes, eat this food, go to this place, spend this money, be like those people. That's what you need to do. Some, some people are trying to sell you something. Some people passionately believe in some kind of a cause that this is the most important thing. And they're trying to convince you, you also need to be just as passionate about this as I am. Because if you are not, there is something terribly wrong with you. I don't know how awful of a person I must be, given all of the things that I have been told I should be passionately outraged about, or passionately concerned about. And it's not that none of those things are concerning, but that it would consume me and that I would need to put all of my energy there. That's what a good Christian would do, or that's what a good person would do. That's what a good human being would do. And if you don't do these things, anyone who doesn't care about the same things that we care about must be a terrible human being. These, these are the things that um, are human, according to human tradition. No, don't be taken captive, he says, by philosophy and empty deceit. These things that, that seem like they're something. It's interesting to me how many people are taken by, um, not religious maybe, but mystic thoughts. That they're trying to find some kind of meaning in the universe, and so they look to, say, astrology. And they say, okay, this is my sign, I'm a cancer, and so because I'm a cancer the crab, that means that right now I have this sort of a personality, oh yeah, that does sound kind of like me. And it means that I'm going to have um, good fortune over the next 10 days, but then I'm going to have five days of, ref, of a rough period. And, and the number of people that are, are talking about these things and worried about these things and looking, it's really surprising to me. Because I look at it and go, that is ridiculous. How could you be taken captive by that? But there are a lot of people that are. That they take it very seriously. And there are other things that people, we'll, we'll get into them in, in a few minutes, but there are other things that, that people take very seriously that they're, they're wrapped up in it. As though this is super important. Life and death kind of stuff. And he's saying, don't, don't be 
deceived by those things. Don't be wrapped up in those things. According to the human traditions and according to the elemental spirits of the world, those basic things of the world that aren't according to who Jesus is. That aren't according to who Jesus is. They aren't according to Christ. You see, the the idea that Jesus has come as God in the flesh to die on the cross for our sins and rise again from the dead so that we might be reconciled to God, that changes everything. Absolutely everything. It changes the way we relate to everything. And if we don't look through life uh, as through the lens of Jesus, then we are going to be um, misunderstanding the values and, and the importance of everything that we see. We have to reinterpret everything that we are looking at through the lens of Jesus. For in him, verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. That's who Jesus is. In him, the entire fullness of the deity dwelt bodily. I, I, can't, I can't even make sense of that. This is something I have believed for a long time. I have read it in the scriptures, and I'm trying to make sense of the idea that all the fullness of the deity of God somehow was in a man. How is that possible? And yet, it is. God came to be with us, to walk with us, to live among us as one of us. That's remarkable. But because of that, Jesus is not any kind of ordinary man. We don't don't need to consider him like somebody else who is maybe good or impressive, right? We look at elite athletes and we go, wow, that's really impressive. The things they are able to do with their bodies is really impressive, Or we look at people who have uh, great leadership, uh, charisma, and, and authority, and we go, wow, they are really exerting a lot of authority, and they are accomplishing a lot that's really impressive. Or people that are very clever, very smart, and they're inventing new things and new solutions to things, and we go, wow, that's really impressive because of the things that they're able to do. But these are human people. People that are like you and me. That maybe they've devoted their life to one thing and have excelled in this one thing. But compared to Jesus, it's really not a very good accomplishment. It's really not much of an accomplishment. Even were somebody to come forward and go, I have done it, I have solved it. I have fixed cancer. No more will cancer kill people because I have figured it out. I have come up with a solution. They would probably get all kinds of uh, 
Nobel Peace Prizes, or I don't know what kinds of awards they would be given. They would make all kinds of money. It would be very impressive because cancer is a horrible thing that causes death in uh, many people and touches most people, whether they themselves or somebody that they're connected to, some sort of uh, a loved one. It would be impressive that they did that. Do you know who Jesus is? God in the flesh. God in the flesh who came not to deal with cancer, not to deal with drug addiction, not to deal with poverty, but to deal with the sin of humankind. In him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. He has come to fill us. This, instead of us being captivated by this empty deceit, right? This emptiness of something that's false. Instead, we are filled up with him who is full of the deity of God. That's, that's what we get instead. In him also, verse 11 you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. This is who we now are when we believe in Jesus. We are connected with Jesus. We are identified with Jesus. So in the Old Testament, you had this circumcision that was a sign that you were one of God's people. This was one of the ways that you were identified as one of God's people. It said that I am connected to God through his covenant with me. Now we have this baptism connected to that, that we are buried with him in baptism and raised with him through faith. So just as Jesus died and was buried and then raised again from the dead, we with him in baptism are buried and raised again so that we are identified with Jesus. Jesus says, you are going to be connected with me. My life is going to be connected with your life. All of your sins I'm going to take and I'm going to pay for those sins. And my life and my righteousness is now your life and your righteousness. You will live eternally, righteously with me because we are connected with each other. We are identified with Christ. And you, verse 13, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. Because we are connected with Jesus, all of our sins are dealt with. This is something that every human has to deal with. Every human has to deal with their brokenness in the flesh. We don't do what we are supposed to do. We don't operate the way that we are intended to operate. We are not righteous. We are not holy. We are not God-honoring in our flesh and in the things that we do naturally. We are a selfish, unloving, uncaring people. 
Everyone has to deal with that. Everyone has to do something about that. We recognize it. And so there are all kinds of ideas about how do I deal with this? How do I handle this? You have all kinds of moralistic people going, you know what you need to do is you need to actualize the potential of your humanhood. What does that mean? You have the potential as a human to be very good. And what you need to do is you need to actualize that. You need to realize your potential, what you could be. You need to be very loving. You need to do all of these things that then will demonstrate that you are worthy of something. So we have all kinds of different ideas and philosophies. We've got uh, Eastern religions that, that focus on meditating and peace and tranquility. And we put out of our minds and out of our thoughts anything that is harsh or abrasive or aggressive or antagonistic so that we can just be at peace. We have other people who uh, are religious zealots of one kind or another, and, and they have an idea of religiously what they need to do in order to be acceptable. And so they practice that kind of religion fervently, trying to make themselves worthy, trying to make themselves acceptable. We have people who are stoics, if I just take responsibility for myself, focus on the things that I can control, and then live the best version of myself possible, that is what we're going for. The other stuff we just don't worry about. But if I do that, then I will be the best that I can be. We have people that are activists of all kinds. cause promoters. The way that I know that I am worth something is because I am fighting for a cause. These all have the idea of wisdom. They all sound good. Oh yeah, that is something we should definitely be fighting for. That's definitely something we should be doing, but can you find your worth there? Can you prove yourself there? No. No, that's not what makes us worthy. That's not what makes us acceptable. It's not what makes us valuable. It has the appearance of wisdom. But it's an empty deceit. It's an empty lie. People are working very hard to try and prove themselves or make themselves worthy. And it's for a lie. Sometimes for good causes, but still for a lie. Because there is one God. There is one creator and one Lord of all. 
And he is the one who is worthy of all glory and praise and honor. And it is he who bestows on us worth. Anything that we might do is not sufficient to please him. He's not impressed by it. But he came in the fullness of deity embodied in man so that he might fill us up with himself. So that we might be fulfilled. So that he might realize our potential, I guess. Because there was no way that we could do it ourselves but we have been convinced we're trying to be convinced by people that these are the things that we must do to prove ourselves and what i want to highlight for you this morning is that jesus has already taken care of it and we already have victory we are already victorious in jesus so don't be captiva captivated by all of those ideas about the things that you have to do, that you must prove your worth if you're going to be a good human, if you're going to be a good Christian, if you're going to be a good whatever. You have to do these things. Jesus has already conquered. Jesus has already provided the victory. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. I don't owe anything to anyone else. I don't owe any debts to anybody. I don't need to prove myself to anybody. I don't have to do anything for anybody because Jesus has already taken care of that. So all I have to do is lean into Jesus and encourage other people that they can find victory there too. I don't need to solve the world's problems. I don't need to, to um, prove to you that I am not as selfish as I actually am. I just have to lean into Jesus. And you just have to lean into Jesus too. God has made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. I love this passage. I love this passage because it's so, uh, the imagery is so descriptive of what has happened. There was law that said, you have to be like this. And we broke it. We did not honor God. We did not reflect, having been created in his image, we did not reflect his image well. And so what Jesus did is he came and he said, okay, I see the law here. These are the requirements for righteousness. You have not achieved this. You have not fulfilled this law. I have fulfilled this law. I'm going to take it here. I'm going to pin it to the cross and I'm going to just nail it there. I'm serving notice. The law has been fulfilled and I have done it. 
freedom. All of us who were previously enslaved to the law, trying to work our way to righteousness, now can see the notice pinned to the cross and say, I'm free. I'm free. I don't have any obligations anymore. I don't have to prove myself anymore. I'm free. It's pinned. It's there on the cross. Jesus has already done it. Jesus posted notice by putting his own body on the cross and having it nailed there. The fulfillment, the embodiment and fulfillment of the law. Pinned to the cross so that we look to him and say, My God, you have saved me. You have saved me by canceling that record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Anybody who previously could have come up to us and said, you know, I noticed that you did this thing. Do you know what the fine for that is? Have you ever done anything? I'm not going to make you raise your hands. But have you ever done anything in your past that you went, if somebody ever were to come to me, I would owe on that thing. And it just hangs. Sometimes it hangs for a little while. Sometimes it hangs for a long, long time. Because of something you did back there, And you just know there's a record of that somewhere. Somebody knows I did that. And at some point, there's going to be accountability for that. They're going to bring it forward, and they're going to say, you owe on this. And they're going to be right. If that happens to you, it just hangs over you. This impending threat. I've done it. There's nothing I can do about it now. I can't overcome it. But there it is in my past. It's a thing that I have done. And somebody at any point could come to me and say, this is what you did. That's what he's talking about here. There is a record of debt that stands against us. All of our sins listed out. And Jesus said, I'm going to take this, bam, and nail it to the cross. You don't owe on that anymore. Because I have paid it. Before the judge of the universe, you are free. Understanding that freedom is so relieving. Because otherwise what happens is we are guilted into trying to perform to make up for things that we have done. We see those two eyes in the tree and we go, that is going to eat me. Those two eyes are staring out of the tree, and that is a great horned owl that is going to eat me. It's not a great horned owl. It's a moth. It's a moth. 
Those people that are trying to tell you this is what you must do. This is what you must do in order to be good. This is what you must do in order to prove yourself. This is what you must do in order to have worth. Those, those voices that are in our heads that are telling us these things, I'm not good enough. I haven't done enough. I'm not performing well enough. I'm not a good enough father. I'm not a good enough son. I'm not a good enough husband. I'm not a good enough pastor. I'm not a good enough uh, community member. I'm not a good enough Christian. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I'm not doing well enough. All of those voices that are telling us those things are just a moss staring out at us with these fake eyes to try and convince us that we should be afraid. There's no need to be afraid of a moth. There's no need to be afraid because Jesus has nailed it there. I want to jump ahead to Colossians verse 16. As, as he uh, has set this up in in the don't be captivated by these empty ideas and human wisdom. Then in verses 16 to 23, he lists some very practical ways in which this um, takes expression. Verse 16, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, for these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Don't think that it's how you have to celebrate or do religious forms. Celebrating new moons and celebrating Sabbaths. And because all of the ideas, as he's talking to the Colossians, all of the ideas were you have to do it this way. You have to perform your religious duties this way. And if you don't do it this way, then uh, that's not good enough for God. And he's saying, but that's just, that's not the substance of who Christ is. These are just shadows that show us who Christ is. Don't worry about getting the exact form right. How often have I felt guilty because of the way that I do my devotions? Have I, am I doing my devotions well enough like a good Christian would? Am I reading enough of my Bible every day? Am I reading enough of my Bible every year? Am I reading it in the right way? Am I praying well enough? Am I praying long enough? Am I praying often enough? Am I going to church right? Am I wearing the right clothes? Am I saying the right things? Am I doing all of the right stuff? <sighs> Get rid of all that. The substance is Jesus. Are you looking at Jesus or are you not looking at Jesus? Who cares what all the form is? Are you looking to Jesus or are you not looking to Jesus? Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels and going on and on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, but not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Don't, don't be deceived by, by the asceticism. Oh, you need to deprive yourself of these things. Give up this stuff. You know, a good Christian wouldn't watch that, say that, do that, think that, eat this, drink that. 
Time out. Who is Jesus? Well, I saw this vision. I had this dream. I did all this. Time out. I have seen Christians get wrapped up in these near-death experiences or people who died and they were dead for minutes and then they came back to life and then they told you about what they got as this revelation from God because of this experience. Time out. God speaks to us already through his word. We, We don't need all of that. We don't need to be led astray by those things or, or the worship, he puts it this way, or the worship of angels. Spirits and things. Oh, wow, there's a spiritual world and blah, blah. Okay, time out. Y- yes, there is a spiritual world. Yes, it is um, at work in our world. Jesus has already defeated that. He's already taken care of that. Talked with people who have, they've mapped out, oh, that, this demon is in control of this area here, and that demon is over this area, and so we need to pray about this specific. Time out. There's no demon in control of an area. Jesus has authority. Jesus has already won. I don't have to play by the rules of demons. I don't have to worship angels or be uh, impressed with all of these other dreams and things. No, Jesus. I'm just looking to Jesus because he has already won. And it is Jesus who holds the whole body together and in whom we grow with a growth that is from God. Verse 20, if, Christ, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why then, as if you were still alive to the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that are perish as they are used. According to pre- human precepts and teachings. According to human wisdom. Why are we worried about these things? Let's just pay attention to who Jesus is. These things have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Here's the thing. The problem with our flesh is that we are tempted to sin. And the only way that we are going to overcome the temptation that we have to sin is by the work of Jesus in us. You're not going to fake it with moralism. You're not going to fake it with righteous indignation. You're not going to to, uh, um, fake it with holy anger about things that other people are doing or saying. None of those things are going to make you more righteous, though they have the appearance of wisdom. Jesus has conquered. I am frustrated sometimes by the way that so many people listen to these voices. 
voices on the internet, voices on the radio, voices on TV, voices in the newspapers and in magazines, from politicians, from community members who are telling you, you need to be outraged about, you need to be afraid of this, you need to be angry about that. Why do I need to do that? Well, because those people who are on the other side, those people who are our enemies, they are scary. If they get more control than they currently have, watch out, because we are all going to die. No, they are a moth. They are not a great horned owl. You want to know how I know? Verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. He disarmed, um, defrocked, disrobed the rulers and authorities. Jesus came through and said, you no longer have jurisdiction here. Any legal claim that you had over these people because of the things that they haven't done, I have nailed that to the cross and I have fulfilled it. Any right that you think you have to my people, you don't have. I'm stripping off your sheriff's badge. I'm tying this rope around you. I'm going to parade you through the streets because I have won. I'm stripping off your royal robes. You have no authority here. I am king. That's what Jesus is saying. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Jesus has won. Do you know what I think that we uh, forget? Is that Jesus has won. We tend to think that Jesus' victory was small. Well, yes, I know that Jesus died on the cross, and I know that he conquered sin and death. And what that means is that um, the sins that I commit in life are not going to count against me, and I will have eternal life with him. That was Jesus' victory. That's my victory in Jesus, is that I get eternal life with him even though I sin. That's so small. It's not that it isn't good. It's not that it isn't true. It is true. Jesus did conquer sin. It does have an effect for you, and it does affect your eternal life. But do you know that Jesus' victory is bigger than that? He disarmed all the rulers and all the authorities and put them to open shame. Jesus is the king. There are no other rulers and no other authorities that matter. Because Jesus is victorious over them. Jesus' victor victory is not small and Jesus' victory isn't fragile. Well, I know that Jesus conquered sin and death, but what if I succumb again? 
I know that Jesus conquered sin and death, and I know that he stripped all the rulers and authorities, blah, blah, blah. But do you know that those people over there are gaining power and authority, and they might infringe on my freedoms? Do you think Jesus is worried about that? Jesus has won. His victory is not fragile. I am not afraid of those people or those people or those people or those people. I'm not afraid of them. I'm not afraid of the people. I'm not afraid of the spiritual rulers. I'm not afraid of the spiritual authorities. Why? Because Jesus has won. Jesus has won. The people that are telling us that we ought to be outraged or afraid don't understand Jesus has won. The only thing you're doing right now is selling something. And here's our temptation. We go, yeah, that other side is selling something. They're selling fear and anger. And the people that I'm listening to, they tend to sell the same things. What should you be afraid of? You should be afraid of voter suppression. You know what you should be afraid of? You should be afraid of voter fraud. Because if the left gets their way, because if the right gets their way, Come on. Did Jesus win or did Jesus win? Yeah. Jesus won. We no longer are afraid. We're no longer succumbing to human wisdom. We no longer have to do these things to try to prove ourselves because Jesus has overcome. And when we were all sinners unworthy of God, Jesus removed our sin and cleansed us so that we can live for him. We're no longer afraid of moths. We're no longer angry that moths exist. Because we know that Jesus is victorious and my victory is in him. And so if anybody else seems to thrive for a time or threaten me for a time, Jesus is victorious over them. And Jesus is victorious for me. So that we have been filled up in him who is the head of all rule, and authority. This morning, we get to take communion together. And very often when we're taking communion, what we're thinking about is um, the repentance of our sin and the cleansing of our sin, which, which is appropriate to do because that's what happened when Jesus died on the cross is he cleansed us from our sin. But the thing that I want to focus on this morning is the victory that we have in Jesus. Listen to the way that it, it puts this. 
and you, this is verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That's the part I want to focus on this morning is not just our ongoing need for repentance, but the fact that we now walk in victory. As sinners, unholy, unwelcome before God, He has made a way to make us walk in victory with Jesus. 